Did you know that moon references and symbolism have made their way into our society without us ever realizing it? Have you heard the spiritual tales and moon legends floating around? Did you know there's information you're actually forbidden from knowing about the moon and that governments have covered up? Well, join remote viewer John Vivanco and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts, for a metaphysical show today that's out of this world. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, John. How are you, buddy? Good evening, Rob. Doing well. Doing very well. Okay, wait. There's something that you started mentioning to me, something about this oh, yeah. axle okay. rod thing. So, What's going yeah. on? All right, so... All related to the moon, right? Oh, yeah. This is, this is all about the moon. It's classic moon stuff. Classic. This is, this is stuff that nobody really knows about. <laughs> um, um, okay, so Ingo Swan. He was the godfather of remote viewing. He was the main test subject in the 1970s when Stanford Research Institute with Hal, Tar, or, uh, Hal Pudoff and Russell Targ were building this program of remote viewing for the CIA. Um, so Ingo, he was their main test subject, but he was also a very A-type personality. So he took over a lot of this stuff and he's credited with actually creating the coordinate style of remote viewing. And that that is... He had this idea, be, remote viewers need an address to go to. You can't tell a psychic, um, can you like remote view the, or you know, psychically get impressions of the Eiffel Tower right now for me, right? You wanna keep them blind to it. So he had to come up with an address system. So he decided that coordinates would work. Basically, you know, these random numbers you give a viewer, remote viewer or a psychic, and they'll just start to get impressions about something. So when, he was working on all this stuff and uh, the program really started to take off. The CIA was funding him. He started to get requests from people doing black projects. Of course he did. Right. So one of those requests, and it's in his book called penetration. Everybody can read this. You know, it's a great book. Uh, he was asked to remote view some specific coordinates on the moon that, basically line up with anomalous structures in some of the photos that were classified, mm. right? This is probably coming from Apollo um, and the ones that didn't make it out for public consumption. So this, this guy's running a black project, uh, fully funded by the government, and, and he brings Ingo into it. So, so he takes him to this secret location. He, I think they even blindfold him for him to remote view over a weekend period of time. First session, he gets coordinates. He starts getting impressions. He's describing structures, strange looking structures. And he's got the monitor there and the monitor's name is Axelrod. And Axelrod is actually running this program. So, so Axelrod is the name of the monitor, the dude that's monitoring this. Ingo, right. So it's a weird name, Axelrod. It is a weird name. So, so Axelrod, uh, Ingo does say that's not his, his not his real How name. How could it be? The guy sounds like an '80s rock star. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, so basically, Ingo's viewing this, and you know, he's sensing that it's moon, right? He's he's got all of the stuff of the moon in his session, mm -hmm. and and he starts to describe these structures, but then he comes across a being, an alien being. And right at the moment that he comes across this being, Axelrod stops the session rather dramatically and says, did he notice you? Did he notice you? You have to be sure. 
And he's trying to get Ingo to like go back and say, you know, whether he noticed him or not, right? And, and, and Ingo has no idea what's going on. He's like, I don't know if he noticed me or not, probably yeah. because Ingo's never come across this. Right. He said, you have to be absolutely sure if he noticed you or not. You have to break the session right now. And he said, if they notice you, you cannot go any further. You have to get out immediately. And hopefully they won't notice you. Why so did he this, tell them that to begin with? Right. Why did he tell them that to begin with? Right. That, that is this like whole can of worms. Why? What experience did Axelrod have or know of that if a remote viewer got noticed by these aliens on the moon? I mean, he must have had an experience, right? He had, had to, to have. Right? So, so we had remote viewed this, right? We remote viewed what was Axelrod's experience or what did Axelrod know? You didn't come across the same alien that was going to... Right. I mean, Take over your body or whatever, did you? <laughs> no, no. So what we're doing when we remote view this kind of thing is is really from the perspective of Axelrod. Sure. You know, we're not remote viewing anything on the moon. I mean, we've remote viewed a lot on the moon and we do get chased off. Um, but I think in the time frame that this happened, there was a different story, different scenario going on. Mm. So what happened when we, all of our data, we're talking multiple blind remote viewers on this. All of our data talked about an attack. <laughs> so an attack by these beings on the moon, on the earth, an attack on a covert military base, on a covert operation where they were using psychics to sense what was on the moon. So literally what happened was the built using some kind of high powered energy weapon, buildings were imploded. Literally, it was like- Wait, on the moon or here in the military base? Here, here, on a remote military base where Axelrod was connected to in this project, Man. where they were remote viewing or using psychics to look at what these structures were. And you know, you think about it back then, before Ingo viewed it, Axelrod was probably like, yeah, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're ninjas. Hey, you know, we could just get in and get out quietly without anybody knowing we've been there, get all this information. But the aliens notice them. We find this when we remote view aliens, when we remote view the, the moon, they notice you. So they got noticed, they're tracked back, and then they send this massive warning, which, you know, really wasn't so much of a warning as we are going to destroy your little program here in your covert military base. And so it was akin to like um, earth modification, earthquake weapons, mm. um, where they were able to implode buildings, collapse buildings and kill most of the people in this military operation. So when you get to Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, these guys in that press conference mm -hmm. right after. That was um, in part one. We, we talked about that for a minute. Right. We talked about that one where, where they just look down, depressed, where before they're going to the moon, they're all ecstatic, right? So when you look at that video, I think about this data. I literally think about this data because this is all happening in the same general time frame. These guys are down. They're depressed. They land on the moon. They get surrounded by aliens. They're said they're told to get out. You can't come back. There's no talk of mining the moon, even though it's full of amazingly rare minerals, right? Back then, these guys are depressed. This attack happens 
on a intelligence gathering operation using psychics. So this stuff is, is, is like, we're in a war mm. with these guys, literally in a war with these guys. I mean, even go back to, um, I think we talked about this before, even go back to Admiral Byrd, the inner earth stuff. Mm. And when they went to Antarctica, when they went to, you know, people think the Nazi UFO, Nazis developed UFOs and they attacked the fleet. Our data was totally different. It wasn't the Nazis that attacked them with UFOs. It was aliens that attacked them with UFOs, right? So I think in that whole time frame, from just after World War II up into the 1970s, there was this huge vying for power and position. But the humans couldn't do much about it because they're, you know, completely overpowered in this in these situations. So that's what we got. You know, that's what we got with with this whole Axelrod situation. I recommend, you know, picking up this book, uh, Ingo Swan's book, Penetration, and reading it because Ingo was very truthful. Mm. The guy didn't lie. He didn't yeah. make stuff up. Um, and you know, when it comes to remote viewers, if you're a remote viewer and you have these experiences, you're also talking to other remote viewers with these experiences. That's right. Other remote viewers are going to validate your experiences. So, you know. All right. So, John, two things. One is you're doing an episode about this Axel Rod thing on Rise.tv, right? I am. Yep. What's that? Uh, so, when is that? So, basically, Rise you're going to cover right. the entire thing, right? Like the. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Covering the entire thing, talking uh, more in depth about it, um, as well as other things about the moon, because, you know, I can't stay away from it. I did a, I did for Edge of Wonder another episode earlier on uh, on the moon but you know the moon has got so many strange anomalies that it's yeah. it's just it's unbelievable yeah. so 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 this whole thing with axelrod it's like it makes perfect sense in the context of watching those astronauts and their depression because right. they know like they're military men they know that they lost the war is really over okay so um that's going to be in season three of Chronicles of a Psychic Spy on Rise.tv, right? Yep. Do you know, what episode is that? Episode five. Okay, so that's going to probably publish in uh, probably January or or early February sometime. So for those of you, January 2023, February 2023. So for those of you listening, you can check that out then. And John, for everybody at home, if they don't know, We've been actually went deep pretty fast here. Definitely one, go check out part one to the moon, but two, John, can you tell everyone at home what remote viewing is just so that they know? Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that whole non-local information side. Um, basically sensing things that are outside of your own physical perception and, and getting information on things that you can't see, hear, touch, smell, taste, um, and using it in a very controlled method with multiple uh, people doing that same methodology, generating reams of info on things, and then cross-correlating data to come up with a picture of it. And I've been doing this for 25-ish years now and, professionally. And, and as John said, the CIA actually was developing a lot of this stuff, and all the three-letter agencies use remote viewing to get data that they can't otherwise see with their naked eyes. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's think about it. It's like... It's the, an intelligence gathering tool where they have people sitting at desks writing things down instead of sending people out on these missions, right? So totally means it's cheap. Okay, so let's get a little bit crazy. I have a feeling we're going to come back even crazy? this whole yeah, this whole military <laughs> thing. But okay, I've researched the moon a ton 
you know, like in and out of the Stanley Kubrick stuff. I've, I've interviewed people that were, were in NASA. I mean, lots and lots of, of research on the moon. And after a long period of time, I kind of came to my conclusion of what I think the earth, the, sorry, the moon is and how it got up there. I want to know what you think, John. What Whoa. do you think? The, what do you think the moon is? I think it's a spaceship. Sorry. <laughs> I just, you know, I think it's a, a, spa a spaceship. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I do. I mean, but you, you know, you can't really go around saying the, you know, the moon's a spaceship actually there was a movie. There was a movie recently, the moon crashed to the earth did you see that one? And because it was a giant spaceship and it was seen that. What movie is that? <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Dang it. I just watched this movie. It was a big movie and it's really putting forth this idea that the moon is a spaceship moonfall. It was called moonfall. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. Yeah. You got to watch it. That's you a have... movie too. Yeah. It's it was on my list. It's like a Hollywood movie. I'm like, I'm watching this going, Oh, Wow. <laughs> they're trying to like get people thinking that the moon's a spaceship. That's pretty so like cool. Real disclosure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So I, I do think, you know, based off of everything that I've seen um, that it is a controlled object, it's a controlled satellite. And, you know, when we get to what happened, you know, I'd say this is probably around maybe late, late nineties, early two thousands uh, with my remote viewing team. Um, when we were working as trans-dimensional systems where this gray alien would show up on a consistent basis, mm -hmm. um, mainly to Prudence, who was, uh, I was working with her in this whole, in the think tank that we had. So, so sometimes show up to other viewers, but mainly Prue. Prudence and, is one of the, one of the remote viewers. Yeah. Prudence was, Prudence ran, ran it and I ran it with her. So she was like, she was like, um, um, receiving all of these messages from this gray alien. So it would show up in her house. And I stayed at her house once. We were doing a bunch of training stuff, stayed in her house. And I saw the shadow of this thing as well as smelled it. So I know that it was a real thing that was going on. So it would show up. It would actually leave footprints in the bath mat in the bathroom. Show up about 2 a.m. nearly every night at times. And she'd go into the bathroom and it would give her this like thought ball type message. And so she would have to like spend the next couple of days like unraveling this like massive data in her brain. And some of the data had to do with the moon being a controlled object, a controlled structure. Um, and this being would talk, would talk about or have in the thought ball um, how he and his cohorts, but I don't believe this part because I don't necessarily believe these guys mm -hmm. brought the moon into position, mm. which caused massive flooding on earth in order to wipe out humanity, <laughs> right? Be because, you know, this guy was saying that humans are an early rendition of them. And he feels that they are a mistake, that, that what they've turned themselves into is a mistake because they bred out all the qualities of humanity within them. So he broke along with some others from the main gray contingent who are doing the like abductions to save their race on the planet. And, and instead wanted to just wipe out humanity. Like let's bring the moon in and cause this massive like flow of, you know, uh, floods, Noah type floods and, could just get rid of the whole thing right at the outset. Mm. 
that's what he said. But, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. But there was, you know, um, the Proselenes of Greece and, you know, other cultures talk about a time before the moon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. That's what I want to get into right now. Yeah. I'm going to tell you my theory here. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, with the thing that that gray thing was telling Prudence, I don't buy it for a minute. Yeah. The reason I don't buy it for a minute is because in the first episode of this, we talked about all of the mathematical, like exactly amazing mathematical exactly. things about the moon, which would make it impossible for the moon to be there without a very specific reason that would have calculated everything that has to do. Like we're talking about the mass of the moon being calculated to do exactly what it's doing to, um, to, you know, like the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the shore, uh, tidal, tidal, tidal tides, sorry, the tides, excuse the me, tidal lock. Yeah. Brain thing. So yeah, the, the tides basically bringing in the tides and doing what it does to the tides, like all of the math revolved around this would have had to been extremely calculated. So I, and also I want to, <laughs> my research, the, I brought all of this together after I had finished my research on Saturn, which we are going to get into in a different episode of metaphysical. When I was researching Saturn, there is a uh, book called uh, The Saturn Myth by David Talbot. That's a, an old book. Can't even find it anywhere anymore. I think that there's enough truth in that that they've made it impossible to get. I think the only one I could find was like $650 when I was looking for it in 2018. Now, um, a lot of data is in the Saturn myth, but it, it all works out. Uh, just generally speaking, that at a certain time in the Earth's ancient past, Saturn was the sun. That was that was heating, I guess you could say, the Earth. And this, well, yeah, you know what Saturn Saturn has is is a uh, a dead star, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I mean, science scientists do believe Saturn is a star that didn't quite make it. Right? They believe it was a star that didn't make it, and if you look at old old um, coins from Italy and things like that from Rome, um, you know. Italy in ancient times is called Saturnia. Rome was right. called Saturnia. The, the symbol for Saturnia was the star and the crescent. And what it was believed was that there was some type of ejection before Saturn totally blew up or whatever it was. There was some type of ejection from Saturn and, and the light from Saturn was hitting the ejection of debris and it created this crescent and the crescent was turning around the, the star or whatever it was, you know, the dwarf. So, um, so, so, so these are a physical representation from Earth. Like humans were seeing this. Humans so were seeing this, okay. and it was and it was a symbol. And they were putting it on coins, and it was on coins. It was and and look, Flags. even today, like look at Turkey. Turkey still the right star in the in the in the crescent, right? Like, well, yeah. I mean, Saturn worship. I mean, just Saturn in general, worship. like like the Kaaba, the cube, and and, yeah. and and how they rotate around it. Like the cube is Saturn. Yes, and they rotate around it like the rings, yeah, just like Saturn. the rings. Yeah, exactly. right. And, uh, and so th- there's all kinds of, of symbols here on planet Earth that show us that Saturn was a thing, right? Well, right. well how does this relate to, to the moon? Well, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there is a very ancient past to the planet Earth that we're not really aware of, right? I want you to imagine a time on planet Earth where there was no moon. Okay, imagine it for a second. Imagine how dark the night would be. Imagine how dark Earth would be if there was no moon. Now, imagine if your if your entire civilization revolves around like production 
of some type producing something in, in some type of industry, even if it's not affecting the earth, but some type of industry, wouldn't it be convenient if there was some type of light in the sky that was keeping things going so that you could continue to work? Hmm. Okay. So now you've got this situation. Now, remember what we were saying in episode one, that the content of the, the moon's surface is what? Titanium metal. Take all the dust off of the moon for a second in your mind. And now think of what would happen to the moon if the sun hit it and the contents were steel titanium like that. Yeah. How bright the earth would be. How beautiful. Right. <clears throat> what kind right. of like beautiful dusk or like... Uh, evening that would make on planet earth for the entire cycle of the nighttime right. to keep civilization producing the way that it needed to for whatever your industry was. I don't know. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Now think about how bright a full moon would be. And then just, of course, they're calculating. Now we're talking about reflections here, right? There's different levels of brightness at different times, but they calculated all of that at some to some extent, they've calculated everything, right? There's a new moon, which is just, or sorry, uh, there's like a, a completely no moon in the sky where, you know, there's no reflection. And then it goes all the way to there being like a, a, a new moon where it's it's huge in the sky and very bright. And then there's there's levels in between. But for the most part, the moon is always reflecting some type of light off of. Right. Then over time, you know, Saturn, whatever, blows up. Tons right. of debris uh, in in the cosmos or in the solar system, the moon gets covered by a, a thick layer of dust, and the mm -hmm. light reduces by like how who knows how many percent seventy percent. Wow, and that's so, well, I hadn't I never I never heard of that. It's weird, that's, right? That's weird. Yeah, it's weird, but it's like if you think about if you okay if we if we assume because of the mathematical anomalies with the moon and, and, and the, the surface content of the moon that it was made, that it was put there, then it would only make sense that it was servicing the earth in some specific way. 25% right. the size of the moon when every other moon is 5% the size. Right, uh, like right, right. System. You know, it's, it's, it, it is. It's like it's a big reflector. It's Ultimately. a reflector. It, it, that is absolutely right. Okay, so look at Phobos, for instance. Phobos is a moon of Mars. Yeah, okay. Okay, so Phobos is, is a small body, right? Um, like most moons are small bodies, right? They're not huge. Tiny. So Phobos, when we looked at that, we looked at that. It is an artificial structure. Phobos is an artificial structure. In fact, you can actually see some ribbing um, on some of the photographs. You can actually see ribbing on this you photograph. See that right so, there. They were, were so photo up. when we remote viewed this, it was completely hollow, totally, absolutely mm -hmm. hollow. And it was a control station that was turned, well, a natural body turned into a control station over Mars in order to deal with population on Mars from some other race. And it's long abandoned at this point. And so when we look at some of these moons, they are like Phobos. They're more like these small, they've got to be small. They don't need to be as big as the moon, right? They're small, they're control structures, they're you know monitoring, they're doing whatever. The moon, our moon is totally different. You are absolutely right. It's got to be for reflection. It's got yeah, to be. 100%. Now, how did it get up there? 
Okay, now we were talking about this in the in the last episode a little bit. We started getting weird with it, but now my this is okay. You and I have talked at different points in time about Atlantis here and there. Actually, if you just took clips from all the stuff we've talked about Atlantis, we could probably have our own clip probably. episode just from that because it just keeps coming up, right? But the my understanding is it okay with Saturn and with the Moon. Okay, the because a lot of these things are are, are related. That, you know, these different civilizations are constantly trying to bring back the golden age. The golden age is a direct reference to Saturn at that time. Egypt was trying to do it. Rome was trying to do it. This, this is why we, we didn't understand why Jesus was like, oh, paganism, stay away from it. It's because they were, they were basically like, it was like a templatized right. set of gods that they were bringing over into every sort of like culture. And it kept screwing everything up. Like look at Babylon, look at Egypt, you know, like everything that was going on in, uh, in central America, you know, it, it, it just kept getting, it just kept screwing everything up. But anyway, that's a tangent. The thing is um, with, with Atlantis, my understanding is that there, so, and there were some remote, other remote viewers that I had talked to that had seen that it was a very ancient technology that they had created the moon. And then they essentially, it was like spirituality and technology were merged into one thing and they used like meditative powers to, to actually levitate the moon into its exact position where it needed to be. That's interesting. I mean, when you get, okay, so when you get into Tibetan Buddhist mm. stuff, I mean, we're talking yes. Tibetan Buddhist stuff that is like beyond our current age, like the Kali Yuga or whatever, like maybe in one of the earlier ages, they have techniques, spiritual practices to move objects, literally like, like levitate objects using sound. Obviously, I mean, I don't know how you can do that with the moon. Maybe, maybe you can't. Sound and consciousness. So not just using instruments, but also using um, the the focus concentration of the monks in order to move it. Yeah. Right. So so I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because a lot of the Tibetan, um, a lot of the Tibetan technology that's very very deep in their in their lore is is coming from those times. Like Atlantis, for instance, was not just like this little civilization. I think Atlantis was. It was the whole earth. The earth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they've kept the records, right? Like that probably in that library that you sent me, they probably got records of that in there. Right. Oh yeah. The, the, there was, we found, I found this, uh, or somebody found, maybe Lindsay, maybe it was you that found an article on this ancient Tibetan library where they had only um, really looked at like 5% of it. And it was just all of this. I mean, it was like the library of Alexandria in Tibet, but it was all the Eastern stuff instead right. of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Like uh, it, who knows what's in there? I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure that you'll, you'll find stuff that is related to um, levitation. I'm sure you will. I mean, you know, when we looked at some of the levitation stuff that 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 was claimed um, by Westerners that the Tibetans were doing levitating stones using these methods, it was true. They were able to do this, exciting a piezoelectric charge in the stones with sound and then using consciousness to help propel it. I mean, they did this stuff. They right. did this stuff. And so maybe, you know, I, I don't know if any of this is true, right? But maybe, maybe 
an ancient civilization or an ancient us, you know, I don't believe at all that that human beings only went back 15,000 years and stuff like that. Like anyone researching this stuff really and giving it a shot, you can find like the Ica stones. Humans were riding dinosaurs on those Ica stones. It, it right. Like, come on. Like, you know, like it's right there. You know, I mean, we're looking at things on planet Earth making no sense at all, like right. five billion year old, you know, fission centers right. in like the Gabon Republic that make no sense. Where well, you know, I mean, it's 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 literally um, the Catholic Church. I don't know if I can say that, but the institution of of governmental bodies around Catholicism, they they believe that the world began uh, at four thousand BC. Right in the Old right. Testament, four thousand BC is literally the time change from, uh, let's just say, the Dwapara Yuga to the Kali Yuga that we're currently in. Literally, that's that's right around the time change of from one age to the next. So they stepped out of cyclical time on how we normally go through um, existences. Humans do on this planet. It, time is cyclical. It's not linear. Linear time began with Catholicism and Christianity. And so we think in terms of, you know, even Darwinism. Darwinism is a result of, uh, of, of linear time coming from Christianity. Literally, it is. Because humans were cavemen and they progressed up into what we are now. And it's always this upward progression. It's the same with... Interesting. With with Christianity. Christianity, oh, wow. you think about it, it's like we were created by God at 4,000 years ago, 4,000 BC, sorry, 4,000 BC. And then it's a for forever upward progression. But no, that's not how it works. Civilizations, beings come and go cyclically. When you get into the Vedas and um, the, the cycle of the Yugas, it's cyclical. It's always cyclical. Atlantis, all these older civilizations. Yes. It falls in line with catastrophism, which which science currently denies. Catastrophism, you know, I heard Randall Carlson talking about this. He said, if you pulled back all of the layers of 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 uh, soil on Earth and get to this one, get to the core of the Earth, it's going to look like the Moon with all these craters, because this planet is in a shooting gallery of things hitting the Earth, just like the Moon is. And we go through these cycles of civilization growth. You think of a civilization that's grown for 15,000 years, what they can accomplish. Then all of a sudden they get wiped out or they leave. They leave before they get wiped out. I mean, that's what happens here over and over and over again. It's cyclical. I don't know what this got to do with the moon, but getting back to the Atlantis oh, thing. Right? <laughs> getting back to this it's Atlantis thing, you know, I mean, conceivably, yeah. I mean, they could have done this. They could have done this. Well, and, and, you know, I hear that their their technology was powered by not only the spiritual mixed with some type of physical technology, but then also the use and pa power of crystals being utilized, like the energy right. and crystals being utilized to do a lot of these things. Like they were using, I don't know if it was more like fuel or some type of energy that they were using from from specific crystals that were doing these things and then you know we find things out there of mystery like the like the the crystal skulls and and things like that that just defy human understanding like it's what, a different technology it's a different it's technology, a different technology. and you know the whole thing with crystals being a technology has always fascinated me i 
and I haven't quite yet been able to wrap my head around how do you, how do you utilize crystal technology that they utilized now? I mean, that's it exactly. seems like I've, I've never been able to figure that out. I know that we use crystals in, in, in transistors and all sorts of different things because they can hold a piezoelectric charge. But is that it? Is that all there is to no, it? I think that that's just it. Is is like they they're using it for for the most surface like base levels of the type of technology they were using at Atlantis. What if? what if the crystals were more tied to something that was more involved organically with the human body and, and right. like the, and like the, the technology that you use literally when we're remote viewing, you know what right. I mean? Like right. we, we, there's so much we don't understand about that. And, um, and I mean, gosh, uh, you know, like, have you ever really researched um, what are the, what's the, the bandwidth that's, made from the the crystal glass or whatever it's there's different speeds of internet and one of them is that mm. what's that called again um fiber optics fiber optics do you know what fiber optics are john no no, fiber no. optics basically it's glass in a in a in a cord but but a specific type of glass in a cord and People that install fiber optics, Ben was telling me about this from Edge of Wonder, that people that install fiber optics don't even know how like, much bandwidth and how fast fiber optics could actually go. Wow. It's beyond our current technology, so they right. don't even know. But if they, if they need a speed that's faster than anything that can, that can hold the bandwidth of whatever it is that we have, it's fiber optics that can actually relay the signal fastest. And they're wow. using it in really interesting things now. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of this technology is just under the surface that people yeah. have realized that we can use it, but not quite sure hundred yeah. percent how it works or what the limitations exactly. of it are. Exactly. And in this, if anything, this is, this is sort of emulating crystals, what they're right. doing. So maybe right. it's some type of, of trans of transmitter of sorts uh, of, of some type of information. I don't know. Right. Carries information, holds information. I mean, on an etheric level, um, I believe that all rocks, I believe everything has a consciousness crystals, stones, rocks, it doesn't matter what it is. Everything has consciousness, some form of consciousness to it. And, and, you know, on an etheric level using, you know, psychic skills or whatever, you can tap into the energy banks of these things and get information from them and you can store information in them. But how does that relate in a culture who doesn't know how to do that? Right. I mean, is that the way that they did it in Atlantis, like storing information or whatever in a crystal? It was just sort of this like mind thing they did. Or is it some mechanical type thing that they did? That's always been my question. Like, do humans have to change how they are internally, mentally, spiritually in order to be able to utilize these things? Or is there more of a practical application to it? It's just been a question I've had in the back of my head for a long time now. Now this this image that Lindsay pulled up is the 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 man of the mountain in New Hampshire, I think, right? Lindsay? Yes, but he fell off the mountain a number of years ago. I remember the day he fell, and I was like, "Wow, that was a big day." That was New Hampshire big... just lost like seventy five percent of its tourism in that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. 
Um, okay, so so uh, you know, with the moon, the the last question we have to answer. Is oh yeah, the moon. Before we before we leave is, and we're gonna have to get into this again because we're running out of time, and we could keep going on this. But what do you think is on the dark side of the moon, John? Tell us. Well, I think that I think that given the advent of telescopes and what humans can see from uh, just a regular human, I can get a telescope and, and, and look at just anything on the, on the side facing us. I think that a lot of the mining and operations and bases moved to that darker side because humans are becoming gradually more and more aware. And so I think that you're just going to find probably a lot of those weird little star Wars type bars over there. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, what is it? Moth Isley Cantina or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I hear there's a couple of those sound pretty sweet, <laughs> but no, I think that there's a lot, lot going on over there. Spaceports um, as well as just, massive, massive mining, genetic operations, et cetera, et cetera. I think that most of the activities move to that side. Okay. He, here's what I generally think. Um, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I'm just thinking outside of the box here, okay? If, if there are alien beings out there, if there are alien craft out there, and they were zooming through space trying to stay undetected for some reason like we're not supposed to know about them for some reason it would maybe it would disturb or destroy even human human society because it would be too jarring of an understanding for humans to comprehend all at once i don't know but let's say they're out there and let's say they're they're riding all over the place wouldn't it be safe wouldn't it be a safe place to land on the opposite side of the moon rather than on the front side I mean, it's just, it's much easier, right? There's tons of footage of, of craft going around there. I've seen, I don't, do we know, can we say for sure if it was real? We don't know. There's a, there's a lot of fake footage out there, but I do think that the, the, the dark side of the moon has tons of things on it that we're not supposed to know about. How could it not, whether it be black ops, military stuff, or whether it be uh, of alien in nature. And then I also think that there's been way too many videos or strange things happening of craft that were the size of earth near the sun seeming to pull a little bit of energy out from the sun so what's behind the sun is my question is what's behind the moon but what's also behind the sun like i don't know but if if it is a, a global gl sorry if it is a cosmic conspiracy to keep humans in the dark about what's really out there then what better to hide behind the moon and the sun the moon and the sun yeah 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 well, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's where all the good stuff is. Ultimately, that's <laughs> right. where all the good stuff is. Exactly. Um, okay, so I think we're going to have to get into the moon again another time. This yeah, has been a will. really fun conversation and um, kind of in love with the tangents we go on because they're all related to the subject. But yeah, they are. They're, gosh, just, you know, so much interesting stuff we got to talk about. And um, yeah, so... Uh, John, did you have any kind of final thoughts on the moon that you wanted to share before just, we, you know, just when it's a full moon, just close the curtains. Don't go outside. Just stay away from it. <laughs> Actually, I think our next episode on the moon, whenever that is, has to be about <laughs> yeah. the effects of the moon because it does. <laughs> that's a great, great <laughs> meme, Lindsay. It says, crap, 
it's a full moon. Got to do my full moon ritual. And then the ritual is just this crazy looking cat staring next to the moon. It's great. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think the, the moon does a lot more than we're even aware of. And I think in the next episode, we should get even more spiritual on it and, and have some discussions and, and maybe even talk about some of the myths around the moon, because those get really interesting in the different cultures that are out there. Yeah. We'll connect it up to Saturn. And then we're definitely going to be getting into Saturn. That's going to be a fun one. All right. Well, today's show was out of this world, right? But for everyone listening at home, what do you guys think? We hope you have a clearer idea of whether the moon is really made of cheese, if it could be hollow and colonized, and what's really on the dark side of the moon. Plus, we covered the moon references, some symbolism that have made their way into society that most people don't even realize and if you thought this show was out of this world, you won't believe what we'll cover next. So join us next time for another Metaphysical with remote viewer John Vivanco and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts. Thanks a lot for being here. Goodbye. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.